Welcome to Behind the Warrior, a podcast presented by the EOD Warrior Foundation. This series will focus on resources, interviews, and topics impacting EOD warriors, their families, and the military community at large. For our listeners out there, we are doing a unique podcast this session, and it is really focused on our team members. And hopefully you'll get an opportunity to learn a little bit more about the EOD Warrior Foundation team and the key players behind all that happens. And we're really excited about interviewing each one of our team members. And today we have our executive director, Nicole Motzik, with us. And welcome, Nicole. Hi, thanks, Sherry. It's great to be here and have an opportunity to talk with you guys and with the podcast community. Yeah, we're excited. So to start everything off, Nicole, typically what we do is we just ask ask for folks to tell us a little bit about themselves. So I will let you have the floor. Awesome. Thank you. I um, am a working mommy of three. I am a wife to an um, Army EOD veteran and um, have been with the foundation since pre-merger. So I started with the EOD Memorial Foundation in 2012 and then was afforded the opportunity to stay on and through the merger in 2013 and have loved every minute working in this amazing position and with this amazing organization and, of course, with the amazing community that is the EOD community and family. Yeah. It's it's certainly a privilege. I think with interviewing all of our team members, it's a common common theme throughout every interview is that what a privilege it is to work for the EOD community. I agree, and I think that that's what makes our team um, the best team that there is. I mean, the fact that our team is very hardworking and brings heart to the job every day, but also is super humbled and feels very privileged to serve this community is just outstanding. Right. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about your role, specifically as executive director for for the foundation? Sure, yep. Um, As you mentioned, I'm the executive director so basically, my role is to oversee the day-to-day operations of the organization. I serve as a liaison between the board of directors, who is responsible for um, the oversight and strategic vision of the organization, and ultimately has the uh, financial responsibilities to uphold. Um, and then with the staff team, I'm sort of the middleman, if you will, in a lot of ways. But our team is so amazing that the a lot of the things that an executive director would typically have to do, I really feel like is a team effort with our group. And um, so I oftentimes say that I work alongside the rest of the amazing EOD Warrior Foundation team, and I really mean that. So it is, um, you know, I run the, oversee the day-to-day operations and um, I get to help make sure that we're all moving in the right direction to support our EOD Warriors and their families. Yeah, and we appreciate, we appreciate your leadership, Nicole, and it's important to us as well in having somebody that's a strong and confident leader at the helm to help guide us because not all of us, well, none of us have all the answers, right? And it's, it's really important to be able to have open dialogue with you and, and communication and being able to just run, run ideas past you, even if they're crazy or not good ones. Um, and, but just be able to have a conversation and talk through it. And I think that, you know, your leadership definitely contributes to the overall overall success of this organization and our team. So thank you for that. Well, that is very kind of you. And 
For sure. Our organization is as strong as we are in serving this community, and many of the unique programs and events that come up uh, are because of the ideas of the team. And so I'm very fortunate that our team has such great ideas, and I for sure do not have as good of ideas as you guys do on a day-to-day basis. So I'm um, very thankful that everyone brings their ideas forward and thinks creatively to make sure we're always, you know, that we're never just doing the same thing day in and day out because that's how we did it yesterday. We're always looking ahead. Right. And well, it's important because the world is, is changing all the time and the nonprofit, um, you know, realm is, is no different. <laughs> we're, we're, we're affected by changes just like every other organization and, and, you know, group out there. So it's important to keep our eyes open. Um, and I know you mentioned that your husband was former Army EOD, and I've I've asked some of the veterans on our team what their favorite duty station was, and I just wanted to ask you, in your travels with your husband, did you have a particular favorite, you know, place that you called home or had special memories associated with during your military journey? Well, I'd say probably um, Fort Gillum, and not that Fort Gillum is anyone's favorite duty station or was anyone's favorite duty station, but we are still in the Atlanta metro area um, almost 20 years later from Chris being stationed at Fort Gillum. He had the good fortune of serving with a company, a battalion, um, and a group, so we got to stay for an extended period of time, and then when he got out of the Army, we were we stayed in Atlanta and just love it here. So I think Fort Gillum definitely opened a door to us finding our future home and um, somewhere that we just love. That's awesome. Nicole, uh, speaking of your experiences prior to coming here to the foundation, I think you shared some of your stories with us over, over time, and I've always found them very interesting. Um, could you talk a little bit about that? What were your prior experiences like before you came here? Does anything stand out? And how have those experiences contributed to your role here at the foundation as executive director? Absolutely. Um, so I... Actually, graduated college as a biology pre-med major, so that's nothing in line with the work that I'm doing now. <laughs> um, I went to work. I went to work in a lab after I graduated, and um, realized really quickly that the bacteria and viruses don't talk back. And you guys know me well enough to know that I enjoy a conversation. <laughs> so um, <laughs> the the lab was not the place for me, but I did out of that actually. Um, realized that I enjoyed working a lot with the clients when I had that opportunity. And so I went on from there to be a recruiter. Um, and in the recruiting world, recruiting and sales world, the organization that I worked for had a very open model like we do on our team. So the rule there was that I could go you know, to my peer or I could go to the vice president and share with them directly my thoughts. I didn't have to go through a chain of command. Um, and so I really appreciated that. I appreciated the openness there and the ability to um, have open and honest and frank conversations. And so that has definitely impacted me and carried me forward. I did sales for several years after that. And when I moved to Atlanta with Chris, I joined the Junior League of Atlanta, which then um, sort of springboarded me forward into leadership in the nonprofit world. It was all volunteer leadership at the time. I sat on uh, the board of directors for United Way, the board of directors for the Junior League. And the Junior League is a really unique model it's um, all women serving in their own communities for needs that are specific to those communities, but they're all volunteers. So, um, you know, when we were on the board of directors for the Junior League, that board was, was responsible for a $4 million budget, mm-hmm. and all of them were volunteers. 
So, um, you know, serving thousands of people in the community, over 200 community organizations, um, and all almost all women who, you know, 80% women that work full-time jobs and are doing that as a second secondary. Um, so that was a great opportunity for me to really see what leadership and what a board's role was and how, um, you know, how important it was to just be good stewards in the community and, and be strong leaders and, um, but still very open and, you know, taking the feedback of those that you work with and, and those that you serve very seriously. Um, during that time, I went to, um, back to school to get my master's degree in business. And, uh, shortly thereafter, when Chris got out of the military, I went back to work in sales just to make sure that Chris could take whatever job he wanted getting out of the military since he had spent so much time, um, you know, I wanted him to find a job that made him happy. And so I wanted to help supplement our family income a little bit more and went back to work in sales, um, in transportation. So I worked for shipping companies and freight and logistics companies for a number of years. And then when the opportunity with the uh, EOD Memorial Foundation came open, it was just too good to pass up. It was an incredible opportunity. It sort of combined my business, my leadership, my nonprofit, um, and then something I was incredibly passionate about from a very personal perspective, which was the EOD family. And I've never looked back. Well, we're we're really glad that you're not working in a lab anymore because I cannot yeah. see you working in a lab because you you work so well with so many of us. So that is great that you're you're doing this. And so with all those experiences, which are kind of varied and and, and unique, um, how any one of those like stick out to you as far as your role here at the foundation? Is there something that you pulled from that kind of helps you as executive director here? Um. I think it probably the biggest thing for me and both the junior league um, and my role in recruiting and sales helped me, but it's really just to try and take on that. The junior league taught me about being a servant leader and being a servant leader is very important to me. Um, You know, there's no job that's too small or too big. You do what you need to do leading by example. uh, And then just, you know, again, being open to hearing feedback and input from the team. And that means that sometimes that's, constructive criticism of me and sometimes that's an idea that might be a better idea than one that I had myself and at the end of the day we have to really focus on what's important and there's just no room for ego when you're focusing on what's important and serving the EOD community. Thank you yeah absolutely and so Nicole in your opinion with so many other nonprofits that are out there serving the military veteran and family communities here in this country what do you think makes the EOD Warrior Foundation unique and stand out? Absolutely. What makes us unique is the community that we serve. EOD warriors are unique, um, and the way that they have needs, their needs are very specific. The experiences that they have, the dangers that they face on a day-to-day basis, and the challenges that their families face are unique. And there's no other community that has the exact same needs and experiences as the EOD community. And so I think our organization is able to come alongside other organizations in many cases and provide support increase our capacity of support to the community but at the end of the day when a family it feels really good when a family has gone to other organizations and hasn't been able to get help and they come to us and we say that we're able to help them under one of our four pillars just because they are EOD. right thank you i agree with that and uh also another question for you is is uh as we look forward to the future with the uh, war in iraq 
uh, winding down, pretty much coming to a close, although I know we still have presence there. Uh, same thing with Afghanistan. These wars are winding down. And so the needs, I think, are still maybe not as in much as in the press as in the, as in the past, but we still have a lot of great need in our community that are coming forward. And so what do you think are some of the challenges that we face today as a nonprofit in meeting the needs of our community? And also, what do you see as some possible opportunities moving forward? One of our challenges and, and challenges in fundraising or challenges in nonprofits across the board is fundraising. And with the EOD community being as small as we are, and because there are so there so many other military and veteran organizations out there, often getting funding for us is more of a challenge, I think, than it is for some of the other nonprofits that serve the general military and veteran population. So fundraising is a challenge, has always been a challenge, um, awareness in terms of what EOD is. It's not a household name. So, um, you know, if I speak to someone who's outside of the military community or the EOD community, they may not even know what EOD is. So I need to start there and explaining it and the important work that these men and women are doing. And then it's easy for them to connect money to mission and want to get involved and engage and support us. But when you have to start there, sometimes it's much more difficult and takes a lot longer to connect with donors and, and turn over financial support. And I see fundraising in the future continuing to be a challenge and probably increasing as a challenge in light of you know, the COVID-19 pandemic and just the struggles that everyone's having in the country from a financial perspective and in the world. And so I think that that fundraising is going to continue to be um, a big piece of what we have to focus on to make sure that we have what we need, the resources we need, and the ability to serve the families that we are committed to serving. Yeah, for sure. And this year in particular has been incredibly challenging across the board due to COVID-19. How have you navigated through the challenges both personally and professionally, Nicole? Well, luckily, our amazing team has helped all of us to navigate through it professionally. And so that has been wonderful, just watching the team come together and think of new ideas and get creative. Everyone on the team has been incredibly proactive. So as things have gotten more and more difficult from a fundraising perspective or programmatically, you know, I think that it's safe to say that our whole team thought in May when we had to cancel the EOD weekend in person um, and shift to a virtual platform, we had no thoughts that by September and October, we wouldn't be back in person having all of our events um, and fundraising and programmatic efforts. And so we continue to adjust, but I think we all did a great job of planning early so that it wasn't, October wasn't upon us before we started rolling out some of the virtual ideas and things that we had. We had a lot of just-in-case planning that as the year has gone on and we've seen how serious the situation is, um, we've been able to roll it out. So I am very fortunate that professionally, it has not been an I, it has been a we. Um, personally, I, you know, I mean, it's been a great opportunity. It has also been a great challenge. As I said, I have three kiddos at home. And so when we were on quarantine, my Chris and I, my husband Chris and I were um, a little bit crazed. You know, we have a four-year-old and a five-year-old and a 10-year-old. So it is really hard having no place to go and nowhere to take them to have an outlet. Um, but we managed. And so I think it has brought us closer together as a family in a lot of ways. And now our kiddos are back in school. And so that has been really nice to just for everyone to find some balance. And, um, but, you know, there still are adjustments. We are um, 
you know, our kids aren't riding the bus anymore just so that we're not giving them one more exposure point to COVID uh, so that they don't risk getting quarantined. It's one less place they risk getting quarantined. And so even just dropping off and picking up every day as opposed to a bus ride creates a unique personal adjustment that we have to make. So, um, but, you know, I mean, all in all, I feel extremely fortunate, both personally and professionally, to have the support of my family and the team that we have. Right. Well, you have a you have a beautiful family, Nicole, and um, I'm glad that you guys have navigated through the challenges together and everyone is is doing okay. Thank you. Yes, I am extremely thankful that I don't have a four-year-old hanging on my leg while trying to do conference calls anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the level of sanity just that simple fact has restored to my life has been fantastic. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, with the challenges that we've had, Everybody has come together to work super hard to make sure that we're still establishing connection with the community through virtual platforms and, and all of those sorts of things. But in addition to that, I think it has really given our community yet another chance to show their support for us too, because I feel like they too have really stepped up to the plate to make sure that, you know, certain events are still happening or the shift in different um, platforms has happened and still been super successful. So, you know, again, this organization exists because of the EOD community and we are also very grateful to them for always showing their support. I agree. Yeah. It has been beautiful to watch the community come together um, and just, you know, the EOD weekend was a perfect example of how, for the first time in over 50 years, people weren't able to gather together for the EOD weekend to honor our fallen and, and support one another physically, like in person. But the way that the community came together and showed up for each other and for the families of our fallen and to honor our fallen just was incredible. I mean, I went into that weekend very concerned that we weren't able to be together and left that weekend with a heart that was so full at what the team had done to make it happen and, you know, what the community did to come together. It was really beautiful. And I look forward to, you know, more opportunities like that as the year goes on and have seen them, you know, through a lot of the initiatives, like promote the positive and other things that have been rolled out as well. So it really has been fantastic to watch this community step up in a lot of ways. I agree. I agree. It makes me so proud. <laughs> but I'm not surprised, you know, it's the best right. community that there is. And, um, at the end of the day, that's just what how we what we do and how we take care of one another. Right, right, very true, very true. Well, what keeps you motivated, Nicole? Um, you know, I think just my incredible passion for the work that we're doing and for the community. As I mentioned, obviously, it's personal, and um, you know, and it's personal with the families. You know, in this in this role, as you and Mike both know very well. Um, there is no, you know, this is, it's personal. You get to know our families, we get to know our warriors, we get to know their kids, we get to um, hear their successes and their, their struggles. And, um, and, you know, oftentimes they're next to them in the hospital or on the other end of a phone when they're in crisis. And so it's personal. And I, you know, when it's personal like that, there's just no way not to be excited about it. And there's not another job that I could ever imagine doing that I'll be as excited about as this one. I am almost eight years into this job and I still literally wake up every day excited to go to work. Um, and I didn't know that that was ever even a possibility. Nicole, thank you so much for sharing your passion with our listeners 
and also for sharing your passion and drive and, and just your openness and the way that you work with all of us. Um, I know that I'm proud to be a part of this team, and I just want to say thank you for being at the helm of our foundation. And so um, I want to get off that direction, and I want to go into a different direction. So let's go have some fun here. I would like you, Nicole, to tell us about some of your favorite things. How about a book? What's your favorite book? Oh, gosh. Um, probably Into Thin Air by John Krakauer. It was just, it was my first exposure to John as an author. Uh, and it just, it's about the ascent of Everest. I think it was like 1996, the year that there were just a lot of disasters for a lot of reasons on the mountain. And the way that he writes is incredible. I've read almost all of his books since then, but that one, I just realized that I had never had a book before that I got into. And then every time he referenced something, I would flip back to the previous pages to reference the facts. And I was just completely enthralled. Uh, I agree with you. I actually did read that book and, uh, yeah, everything you said is right on. And he's also a very, very good author. Uh, keeps you turning the page for sure. How about a hobby? Do you have a hobby in any of your spare time? I know you're a very busy person, but is there any hobbies that you like to do to uh, relax or that you enjoy? Well, before COVID, I would have told you travel. Uh, I pretty much pack up, fill up all of our family's time with travel and between my work travel, which was pretty substantial before everything started with the pandemic in March and um, our personal travel, I was we were gone a lot. And I love it. I love being on the go. I love experiencing new adventures, whether they're in the U.S. or internationally. I love taking my kids along and having my kids, you know, get to experience a world outside of our little bubble uh, that we live in Georgia. And luckily, Chris is an amazing sport and goes happily and willingly with me and w with the kids wherever we go and loves to travel also. So I have a good partner in that. And um, but I also, since the pandemic, have had a lot more time in the kitchen at home, and I really do love to cook. So I am far from the cook that our Miss Sherry is, but I do love to um, make meals for my family and spend time in the kitchen. Nice. And how about the last one? Do you have a favorite vacation spot or vacation memory that you'd like to share with us? Um, vacation spot, I would say generally speaking, the beach. Um, favorite place I've ever been is probably Ephesus in Turkey. We went on a cruise and just seeing Ephesus um, and the way that that city existed, you know, thousands of years ago and where Paul preached to the Ephesians was pretty profound. So that's probably the place that has captured my, um, you know, just heart the most. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, I've, I've heard Ephesus come up before for uh, destinations that people were really fascinated by. So, yeah, it's really cool. Thank you very, very much for taking the time to do this podcast with us. And this is an exciting venture that Mike and I dove into and weren't really sure where it was going to land. But we feel really, really great about the direction that it's going. And it's it's nice for people to understand who we are as people um, in, instead of just as the EOD Warrior Foundation. So um, thank you for sharing some time with us. Thank you, Nicole. Absolutely, I agree. And thank you guys for taking this opportunity to try something new and probably a little scary at first. And again, it's just one more, one more of the amazing ways that we've adapted and um, you know, tried to keep it real. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Got to keep it real. Got to keep thinking outside the box. <laughs> For sure. Thank you guys for having me today. Today, our, 
We're going to talk to Patricia Adelman, and she is our development officer for the EOD Warrior Foundation. Welcome, Patricia. Hey, Sherry. Hey, Mike. Hey, Patricia. So before we get started, Patricia, um, we would love for you to just tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, as, as you said, my name is Patricia Adelman. I've been with the foundation for about three years now, and I am based in Atlanta. But luckily, I get down to the Florida offices about once a month to, to see everybody. Well, can you tell our listeners um, a little bit more about your role with the EOD Warrior Foundation? Because we obviously have four pillars of support, which are uh, financial relief, educational uh, scholarships, we have hope and wellness, and we have memorial care. So um, as a, as the development officer, tell us what your role is and how you fit into each one of those pieces. Sure. As you said, my official title is development officer. And what some people don't know is development is, is really the professional term for fundraising. And I help or help coordinate all the fundraising for the foundation, which means I get to support all four of our important pillars. I do things like applying for grants, helping individuals and corporations give to the foundation. I help with special events and sponsorships. And then I also get to work with special programs that support our mission. Fantastic. Do you have a personal connection to the military um, that you would like to share with us? I don't have a personal connection to EOD, but both my mother and my father's families have a long history of serving. My father was in the Army for about six or seven years and served most of that time in Japan and Vietnam. And um, on my mother's side, both of her parents served. My grandfather was a CB in the Pacific Theater during World War II, and my grandmother um, was actually in the Army, the Women's Army Air Corps, I believe is what their official title was, and she was stationed primarily just outside of Reno during World War II, which I cannot help to think was vastly different coming from the Upper Peninsula of the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Sure. Um, in addition, I've had, of course, multiple uncles and cousins who have um, um, both served in the Army, the Navy, and the Air Force. Understood. So from for your grandmother, did you ever get to talk with her about her experience in the military at all, Patricia? I did. She loved it. She was oh. very, very proud of her service. Um, you know, she, we, when she passed away, um, she had a military funeral, you know, with the complete flag and everything. And um, she was very proud of the fact that she both had that experience and was, was able to contribute in such a meaningful way. Um, one of her favorite stories that she, she, she used to tell me was um, that women pilots during World War II, one of the things that she always joked about was they were assigned to, I guess, flying the, the buoys or the, the decoys that the male pilots would practice doing like dog fighting for and target practice. And she always joked, because it wasn't too bad if a woman pilot was shot down while guy pilots, male pilots, were, were practicing. If they they missed the the thing that they were towing behind, um, that wasn't considered too bad. The women pilots could be sacrificed that way, but they would never want to sacrifice a male pilot because male pilots were just too valuable to the war effort. Wow. So um, she also used to talk about how when my grandfather was got home from the Pacific Theater after the war ended, he drove up to Reno, and she was actually released from service um, about two weeks early because her husband was there to pick her up. And um, and they drove <laughs> back to the um, to Michigan, where both of their families were from. And they arrived on, on Christmas Eve or the Christmas Day, Christmas Eve day, one of the two, um, which I always thought must have been so special because um, my grandfather's, one of his brothers, was 
he was he was an MIA in World War II. Mm-hmm. They found out they found his body about ten years after the war ended in the mid fifties mm-hmm. when he was officially um, declared killed in action. But you know, in, in forty five, he was just classified as missing still at that point. I think, and so I've always figured that had to have been very special for his parents oh, to yeah. have him home. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, just thinking about the time, um, that time frame, it's, it kind of sends chills down your spine. (laughs) Yeah, it does. It does. But yes, she was extremely proud and she had a lot of fun doing it. She was an active member of, um, the, the American Legion. And then I think the VFW's Women's League, Women's Uh Auxiliary Corps, something like that. And, um, so she would, would volunteer every year and put out flags out on the graves and, um, in Florida where she lived. Wow. That's incredible. Thanks Patricia for sharing that story uh, about your grandmother. And I think, I think that, uh, the history of the women who've served in uniform going back to World War II really before that is so important. I think it's just now coming out. And it made me think real quickly that uh, there was a cadre of female pilots during World War II that flew every single type of aircraft that we used in the war, which was quite a lot. And they would ferry them from the United States over to the theaters and drop them off to resupply uh, the pilots who whose airplanes were either shot down or could no longer fly. And so uh, these were very dangerous missions they would take, flying across the Atlantic, the Pacific, going to these remote locations, delivering these aircraft. So, uh, yeah, and, and these stories are just now coming out. I, I think it's great just to recognize them and thank them for what they did for us. So uh, one of the things, getting back to uh, your role here as our development officer, um, how has your prior experiences contributed to your role here at the foundation? Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I have been a fundraising professional for my entire career. I accidentally got into it. I would say accidentally because I had no idea that fundraising was something you could do as a career, but I kind of stumbled into it during an internship between my junior and senior year in college. And after my internship, I was offered a full-time position, so I worked full-time my senior year of college and then finished up school at night. Um, But I've always done what we in the industry kind of called niche fundraising. That means I work primarily with less well-known, either organizations or causes. Previously, I've worked for a Greek sorority, a private school, and a professional engineering association. I've always loved working with niche organizations and causes because of the people you meet and the community you help and that that challenge of doing it. you know, when you're working with and are part of a community like EAD and helping that community thrive, you're working with and helping to support people who care deeply about that community and the cause. You know, they, they aren't helping to, to save a baby panda because it's cute. They, they're, they're giving their time and their money to help men and women who are involved with an incredibly difficult job that the, that the vast majority of the country have never heard of and much less would never have the knowledge or the nerve to do. And, and I love working with those kind of volunteers and those donors that, that believe so passionately about something that the majority of people have no idea even exist. Thank you. And also, in your, in your opinion, uh, in your experience, in your time here at the foundation, what do you think makes the EOD Warrior Foundation unique to you? Um, that, that, that's a good question. I would say that the foundation is unique in the overall concept and core belief that EOD is for life. Once an EOD tech receives their badge, they are a member of the community, and so is their family. 
I think the fact that we actively support parents of service members, siblings of service members, even if that service member is married, is also unique and very special and very much needed. Parents and siblings are so impacted and are impacted as much as spouses when someone is hurt or killed or is suffering. And they want to help as much as that spouse, but often have less resources at their disposal. So I, I do love that, that that support is, is part of our mission. Yeah, we do too, Patricia. It's, it's important work, no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. My next question actually is to talk about our mission. And our mission is to improve the quality of life for the EOD family by providing educational, financial, and emotional support. Why is this mission so important? Well, you read the mission. Mm-hmm. I, I think the fact that we support both pre- and post-9-11 service members and not forgetting the service members who served in the, the countless unnamed and maybe unfortunately unremembered conflicts mm-hmm. of the 1980s and 1990s. Mm-hmm. I'm also deeply appreciative that the four main branches of the military are equally supported and equally supportive of each other and gather to vet together at events such as the EOD Memorial Weekend as a unified community to, to remember. I think that truly shows the belief that EOD is for life. And we're fortunate enough to be able to see that through all four pillars of our mission. So, Patricia, this year of COVID-19 has been really challenging for uh, everybody, the uh, the country, the UD community, military community, everybody in our country and, and in the world at large. How have uh, you navigated through the challenges personally and professionally this year? <laughs> I, I've... I've been kind of focusing on one day at a time, embracing this new normal as much as possible, not thinking too far ahead, not stressing now, like like in September, what January or February is going to bring, but simply focusing on what grants that I'm writing are due this fall to support our programs, what support we can provide to help people who are putting on virtual events now that so many of our in-person events have been canceled what I can do to help our team achieve its goals and make sure that everyone is continuing to move forward. And of course, knowing, hoping, believing that sooner or later we will come out of this some way and that sooner that that happens sooner rather than later. I like it. And so, uh, so, yeah, definitely. So my last question (laughs) uh, to you is what keeps you motivated? Knowing how important our mission is, and hearing the stories about how we are able to impact lives and seeing that imper- that personal impact. Um, I was at an event last year, back when we could do events, just chatting with people and an older gentleman, he was an EOD tech from Vietnam, and I were talking. And it was just me and him for several minutes. And he told me how he hadn't wanted to come to this event, but his, devo- his daughter convinced him to come. He told me how happy he was that he had done it, how happy he was that he had done it. Um, even though that group settings were very hard for him because of some of his fears and struggles. But he felt so much a part of the EOD community and felt so welcomed at the event, loved sharing stories with the younger EOD techs about what they were dealing with and what they had gone through and his experiences versus their experiences and, you know, how different things were, but also how incredibly similar things were. And it really reminded him, he told me, of, of the brotherhood and the camaraderie, I guess, that he had been missing. 
that this simple event, I mean, and really, this was not a big event. This was not the EOD Memorial Weekend or anything. This was just a simple local event, had brought back so many wonderful memories for him and kind of maybe helped push aside some of the more painful memories that he had been carrying on, carrying for years. Um, it meant a lot to me and it has really stayed with me. And this event was probably 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. But that's been a huge motivator, knowing that no matter what we do, if it's a big event or a small event or an article or a photo, that it can have a huge impact on someone's life that we don't necessarily know. And um, it's, it has been wonderful to hear those stories and wonderful just to see that impact. That's so cool. I think from our perspective too, Patricia, you know, it's even just having a phone call with somebody or being able to listen and have a conversation in addition to just reiterating the fact that they belong. They belong to this community. Yes. And I think that was with this older gentleman that it reminded him that he was part of a greater community, that he was part of this and I use the word brotherhood, not trying to be sexist, but this mm-hmm. community, this camaraderie that he got to experience in the 70s, in the 80s when he served, and how it's impacted him now. Right. That's really cool. Really cool. All right. Well, we are going to jump right into the last couple of questions. So these are just for fun. Okay. So what is your favorite season my favorite season has got to be fall in the south okay with crisp mornings and crisp evenings but it is warm and sunny during the day oh i love it too i love Mm -hmm. the fall um how about your favorite hobby do you have a hobby that kind of is at the top of your list yeah my favorite hobby it's a little dorky, but since COVID lockdown, I have started making pom-pom wreaths. <laughs> I saw them online, but they're incredibly expensive. And I'm like, nope, I am sitting around not watching Netflix. I can make pom-poms. And that's what I have started doing. I love and, it. And um, I may put a, I'm working on a red, white, and blue one right now. And so I may end up putting a red, white, and blue EOD wreath in the EOD auction in May. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. That would be so cool. <laughs> yeah. I know when you were here earlier, um, well, actually, last week we were joking about the team getting together and learning how to make pom poms when, you know, yes. so we could do something fun together. But, um, yes, that's awesome. Exactly. You should make an orange and gray and white one for the front door. Right. Well, I also know that you love to travel. So, what is your, what has been your favorite vacation spot? I would say the, probably the Outer Banks of North Carolina. Oh. I'm, I'm a huge history geek, and there's a ton of history there. Uh-huh. And I've always loved the beaches, and I am always partial to the Atlantic Ocean, not the Gulf. And um, so, yeah, Outer Banks of North Carolina hits all of those those checkboxes for me. Cool. Well, what what makes the Atlantic so, like, so unique and special for you? Um. The Gulf, at least growing up, I was always going to the Gulf down in um, Clearwater, St. Pete, Tampa okay. area, and it always seemed so calm compared to the Atlantic mm-hmm. Ocean that we would visit more around um, like Daytona, St. Augustine, that area, and mm-hmm. I always loved the waves, mm-hmm. and so the, the Atlantic Ocean has always had a special special place in my heart, Aww. but I will take the beach anywhere. Yeah. A beach is better than no beach, okay, so gotcha. if, if I could, if I had to only pick one, I would go with Atlantic, but I'll take any kind of beach over no beach. Okay, cool. Well, that's awesome. 
I, I really like that, Patricia, that you said the Outer Banks because I know that you are a world traveler, that you have visited a lot of different places around the world, and the fact that you uh, mentioned a place here in the States is kind of cool, and for those of us who can't travel now, maybe uh, it's time to get in the car and, and take a visit to one of your favorite Americana places, so thanks for that. Exactly. As soon as lockdown, I have the goal of... Um since I am rapidly hitting all 50 states, I only have two states left to hit, and neither one of them allow Georgia residents right now, thanks to lockdown. I am then starting to work on hitting all of my state capitals, because even though I've hit most of the states, I haven't hit a lot of the state capitals, um, just because I tend to go to, say, your bigger metropolitan areas for work. And um, so, yeah, we are planning road tripping this fall, hopefully, if, if things kind of settle down to hit some of our southern capitals that we have not hit. Um, you know, like, um, gosh, I'm going to embarrass myself. I think Baton Rouge and Jackson, Mississippi, mm -hmm. and Montgomery, I believe, is the capital yeah. of Alabama. Mm -hmm. I think <laughs> so, you're right. <laughs> and, and, if, then, and if we're not, we'll delete South Carolina. Yeah, it is Montgomery. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> Montgomery. <laughs> no, that's super awesome. So uh, this is this is just a side side note question or whatever, but what draws you to history? What 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 do you love? I mean, is it... American history, or is it, you know, Civil War history? All history. Is it all yeah. history. Oh, very All history. Um, I grew up always going to museums, and I've grown up reading, mm -hmm. and seeing the interconnectedness of, of history. Mm -hmm. My dad had a history book that took, uh, you know, in the early, early years, like the, the you know, the AD, um, it would kind of go by decade or, you know, 100-year block or something like that. And it showed what was going on in Europe at that time. It showed what was going on in your African civilizations at that time, your Middle Eastern and your Asian. And you could kind of see how everything was so interconnected or how this was going on in this place. And then another culture that had nothing to do with each other was either so much more advanced or maybe so much further behind. And then just how everything interrelates. It's, it was always been amazing to me. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so I'm very good at Jeopardy because Jeopardy seems to rely on history a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Do you know the name of that book? Is that a book that you'd like to share with our, our listeners as far as that? that oh, I, do I you? don't. Uh -huh. I still have it somewhere, but uh -huh. I think it is boxed up. But yeah, I mean, it was just probably something he got, you know, yeah. Time Life Books or something. I, you know, I don't think it was any mm -hmm. well-known book. It was just one of those amazing little things that he probably got in the mail, saw, ordered, because he liked to read and was mm -hmm. a big history geek, too. Mm -hmm. And so was my mother. And so it's, you know, grew up going to museums and old houses. And, you know, the travels that I have been able to do have just kind of reinforced You know, I'm watching that. a series called Outlander. You would be an awesome time traveler, Patricia. <laughs> Oh, I love Outlander. How oh. can you not love Jamie? Oh, Jamie's, yes, he Jamie's is. fantastic. Yes, he is. When does football start? <laughs> I, I would put up with no yeah, exactly. for Jamie. <laughs> yes, he is a lovely individual. Um, okay, well, uh, thank you very, very much for your time today, Patricia. It's been great to chat with you. And, you know, I'm always so, so proud to work alongside everybody on our team and i think we're incredibly unique in that we're small but mighty and i and i love that thank you patricia yeah thank you have a great day good afternoon mike how's it going it's going great sherry and i'm really excited that we're interviewing the newest member of our team i am too 
Please let me introduce Jacqueline Deep. She is our accountant for the EOD Warrior Foundation. And how are you, Jacqueline? I am doing good, thank you. How are you two? We're we're good. Doing, we're doing great. Good. Thanks, Jacqueline. Yeah. So, Jacqueline, before we get started, I just love the listeners to learn a little bit more about who you are. So, can you introduce yourself for us? Yeah, uh, my name again is Jacqueline Deep, and I joined the EOD Warrior Foundation as an accountant in January this year. And for the last 25 years, I've worked as an accountant for several CPA firms. I also worked for a condo rental management company as a CFO and an assistant GM for 13 years. Wow. And, but Yeah, so it's been a while. I just want to do something different. Mm-hmm. So when this job came upon me, I apply and I got the job and I am grateful well, and honored to join this team. We are grateful too. And it's great to have you on our team, Jacqueline. And can you, you know, being the accountant for a small nonprofit entity, um, can you tell us a little bit more about what that role looks like for you for the foundation? Um, as an accountant, I handle all the accounting and HR tasks for the foundation. I feel like my role is a supporting role for all the team members in this organization. Everyone seems to have an important leading role to serve the EOD community, and I hope that I can support all the team members with whatever they need to make the job easier, and that's my goal. Well, you are doing a fantastic job, and we love having you on our team. Well, thank you. And I have to say, this is the best team that I ever worked with in the last 25 years. I have to say that. Oh, that's really, that's quite a compliment because I'm sure you've been exposed to a lot of different people. (laughs) I have. And like I said, I meant what I just said. And for folks that are listening to that, we did not pay Jacqueline for that. There was no money exchanged. We can exchanged. talk about that later. Mike. Okay, all right. We'll do that later. Uh, so, Jacqueline, do you have a personal connection to the EOD career field uh, or to the military or, or both? Do you have any connections like that? I do not have a, a personal connection to the EOD career field, but I do have a nephew in the Army for about nine years, and my son joined the Air Force last year, so he is excited, and we are excited for him also. It's a good career for him. Yes, he joined the Air Force. That's right. Great career. Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. And so how have your uh, prior experiences, because you talked a lot about the uh, things that you did prior to coming to the EOD Warrior Foundation, how have some of those experiences contributed or helped you with your role here at the foundation? Well, uh, my all my previous experience are with public or corporate accounting for the last 25 years. So I do have a lot of experience in financial management. I mean, I have done everything from bookkeeping to auditing to anything in the accounting side of it. But it does help me adapt to the nonprofit financial reporting standards and to ensure that we are in compliance. So that's my goal. This is something new for me, but I don't have a problem adapting to it. No, and uh, I think you've been with us since about January, mm-hmm. January yeah. time frame. And, of course, you've come on board during a very uh, <laughs> tough year, to say the least. And, uh, and, and you're, you very rapidly become uh, part of us uh, as our team here. And, and we feel like you've been here much longer than, you know, January of this year. So 
Um, in your opinion, now that you've had time to get used to all of us here and, uh, of course, do great work with the foundation, what do you think makes the EOD Warrior Foundation unique compared to other places that you worked at? Okay, I think the foundation is unique because we are dedicated to serving this EOD community of the active, veteran, retired, the wounded, and non-wounded EOD technician and their families. And we also serve all military branches. I think that is unique. And I can see firsthand how we serve with such compassion and caring to those individuals who have reached out to us. So I think that's very special. You don't find that anywhere else. Thank you. Thank you, Jacqueline. And with that, with the uniqueness of, of what we do here, how about our mission? How do you feel that that is important as well? I think it's important. Our mission is to improve the quality of life for the EOD technician, their family. And we have those programs that could help the EOD family during their time of need when they feel like they have nowhere else to go. We also help them find other resources that are available to them, and we are here and committed to make a difference for the EOD community. I agree. I mean, I think it it makes each of us super proud to be a a member of this team and to help in the capacity that we do. It's it's very cool. And, you know, it it takes a team to get all the work done. So everybody's role on the team is so incredibly important and collectively we, we get to the end goal, you know? <laughs> well, if I can support in any way I can, I'm willing to do that. I know I'm just, I'm fine with where I'm at, mm-hmm. <laughs> a supporting role, which is whichever way helps you guys to do your job, because I know your roles are more important. Well, I will You're like the frontline worker. Right. Well, and I, I'm, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, we we have a lot of connection with face-to-face contact with, with the community or voice-to-voice, but certainly, you know, your role is important, and I think everybody's role on the foundation team is super important. So, um, you know, you're you're a valued person in that in that team, that is for well, sure. thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. That's very true, because if you don't do your job, we're going to hear about it real quick. <laughs> So, yeah, you're very important. Jacqueline, did you pay that invoice? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Did you cut that check? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, exactly. So that's cool. Well, you know, this year in particular, Jacqueline, has been a unique challenge for all of us. And you coming onto the team in January and then COVID-19 hit everybody in March and it has not been a traditional year for the EOD Warrior Foundation. And I know there has been a lot of uh, adaptability and, and things that have had to happen, like working from home versus in the office, doing those sorts of things. But can you share just how COVID-19 has affected you both personally and professionally and how you have navigated through those changes? Yeah, at first, uh, I was not happy with being confined at home because my whole purpose of getting this job was to get out and, you know, get back in the workforce because I used to work from home. Um, But then with COVID, you know, I'm like, no, we're not going back to that. But then, you know, I got used to it and it became the new normal for me. And until this day, I only go out as needed since any of us could be asymptomatic. And I don't want to be responsible for passing on the virus. 
you know, mm-hmm. unknowingly to someone who might not be able to fight this virus. Like I have my in-laws in the late 80s and, you know, we interact with them all the time. So we have to be careful with where we go, who we see and, you know, not passing it on to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just something to get used to, but I'm getting used to it and I can't go a lot of places, so I find hobbies to do at home, mm-hmm. which is making math. I love it. Yeah. Well, I think it's super cool that you've you've you know embraced that and started making masks and um, just doing doing things to help other people too in a different way and yeah, yeah. keeping busy. You know, it's important. Yes, keeping busy. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can't go shopping, so that's kind of <laughs> depressing a little bit. I know. I that's know. That's my favorite hobby. It, by the way. Oh, okay. All right. Well, Mike is going to Mike is going to get to the list with you in just a few minutes, but um I think it, you know, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought up the fact that it's been a bit challenging because, yeah. you know, sometimes it's it's not that we're at all complaining. It's just that it's challenging and it's different and we've all I think tried to find a way to focus on it in a more positive manner to be able to just get through it and hope we come out on the other side, uh, healthy and safe and we can continue like we used to. So I think it's important. So Jacqueline, Mm -hmm. yes, yes, we're all looking forward to that day. Uh, what keeps you motivated? What gets me motivated? What mm-hmm. motivates me personally and professionally is knowing what I do every day, doesn't matter at work or at home, that could make a difference in someone's day or life. That's what gets me up in the morning. Mm-hmm. Well, we also know that um, you have some exciting news that's going to be happening for you, I think, next year, which you're going to be a grandma for the first time, which that's got to be yes. pretty motivating, huh? <laughs> oh, yes. Very motivated. <laughs> I have been over-motivated. Can't wait. My son keeps on telling me to calm down, but I'm, uh, I'm trying. No. It's, trying my best. You know what? You've got to embrace the happy times, you know, because right? we have so many you know, surprises in life that aren't necessarily great. And being surprised that you're going to be a grandma is just phenomenal. So we we are so happy for you. Yeah, (laughs) I can't wait to have a little one call me Mimi. I already made up the name for myself. I'm excited. I love it. Mimi. (laughs) Well, congratulations, Jacqueline. (laughs) Well, thank uh, you. That's really cool. Something to look forward to. Um, yes, so let's let's switch things up a little bit and let's talk about your favorites. <laughs> oh my yeah. favorite! Yeah, let's find out what your favorites are. So tell me, what is your favorite song? Hmm, I don't have a lot of favorite song, but there's one song that sticks to my head all the time. It's "Somewhere Over the Rainbow." Oh, I think I like the ukulele. Oh, I do too. Yeah. I like yeah, that version. It's a positive song. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I can't remember the artist. I know who you're talking about, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it came out a while, not not too long ago, but excellent version with the ukulele. I yeah. agree. And yeah. uh, great voice. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's a cool song. How about uh, food? What is your favorite mm-hmm. food? Not Vietnamese. Um, <laughs> Korean or Thai food. Korean or Thai. I eat too many Vietnamese food. It's becoming not favorite. No. Right. You guys might like it, but I don't. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So want to like, try something different? I even yeah. cook that at home, Thai and Korean food. Just uh, mm-hmm. try something different. Do you? Because they're spicy. Mm-hmm. Oh, you like, like the spicy. spicy. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Well, uh, for our listeners out there, Jacqueline has uh, given her time and effort to teach us how to make pho and has actually brought it into the office for us before, and it is absolutely delicious. I tried not to eat it all, but I couldn't help myself. (laughs) (laughs) I'll try to find a different recipe to bring in next time. We can't Uh, do that all the time. (laughs) No, it's fantastic. Um, How about about season of the year? What uh, is your favorite season of the year? Season of the year, I have to say the fall, because the leaves are changing colors. I love that. And the weather is cooler, less humid for us. You've talked about hobbies. You actually dropped a couple hobbies on this. One of them was making masks, which is kind of new um, and and kind of cool, too, because you're certainly helping out a lot of people. And and so that is a very cool thing that you're doing for others. And then you said you like shopping. So I got to ask you, since shopping is your hobby, um, I imagine this was your hobby before COVID? Yes, that was before COVID. I have to go shopping every weekend for my mental health, I call it. Mm, yeah, retail therapy. <laughs> so do you do you uh, do you get out and go shopping, or do yeah. you do it online? No, 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 no. I actually go out shopping to different shops for hours. <laughs> so get that mask on and do that That's, shopping. No, I don't do that anymore because you know the COVID. But um, so I don't do as much shopping anymore. So now I have to find a new hobby, which is making masks and staying home. I'm be bored out of my mind. <laughs> But, you know, it's kind of good that I focus on kids' masks because you can't mm. find little kitty masks that will fit their face. So if I right. know people have kids that are looking for masks, that's what I want to do just to help them out. We are very grateful that you took the time for us to do this interview today, Jacqueline, and hopefully our listeners will get a little bit of um, just insight on what you do and our entire team does for the EOD Warrior Foundation and and get some little personal tidbits too. So um, we appreciate your time and thank you so much. Thank you, Jacqueline. Thank you for listening to our Behind the Warrior podcast. This series is provided to you by the EOD Warrior Foundation. To learn more, please visit us on Facebook or at eodwarriorfoundation.org. And don't forget to tell a friend.